with everything that is in me, I believe this book has the answer to whatever question you're asking. I've devoted my life to that principle. But I think the problem is we've complicated this book way too much. Preachers, because they want to get up and show off the size of their degrees, have said, let me wow you with how complicated I can make the Bible. And the reality is this, I can make it as complicated as you want me to make it. I can sit with you for hours upon hours and we can discuss theology, but I'm probably not going to do that because I have no interest in it. I'd much rather talk to you about the football game or getting me getting beat up Friday night at wrestling or whatever the case is. I, I believe that this book has the answer to everything. And in so many churches, and I'm not saying they're wrong for this, and what, they're taught, what I'm taught was taught in Bible colleges, you start with the Bible and you pull the truths from that. I kind of go out a little different. I kind of think about subjects that we're dealing with in our society and things that we're dealing with in our church and things that I think might help us practically. So we start there and then we go to the Bible because here's the deal. You can start there and always go back to the Bible and find the answer to that question. And last week we launched a teaching series around here that I told you I believe is going to change your life if you implement the principles that we teach from the Bible. I also told you that the series that we were starting was not going to be a series for everyone because only about 5% of the people in attendance will do what it takes to allow it to become a game changer in their lives. Probably the most practical series that I've ever taught you, but I believe it's the number one thing that if we can grasp this concept in our lives, it will change every aspect of our lives. And we talked last week and we began a series on what the Bible says about how to handle your finances. And the minute you mention the word finances in church, people get real funny because people get funny when the preacher talks about money. Everybody gets tense. Everybody gets awkward. Nobody wants to make eye contact. And the problem is we've heard preachers in the church get up so much and talk about giving your money instead of getting up and saying what the Bible says about how to manage your money. The reality is the church ought to be talking about this subject because the Bible talks about this subject. But we're so worried it's going to upset people and offend people and make them not come back that we avoid the subject altogether. But the reality is this. Studies show that the number one reason for divorce is financial pressure. Studies show that the number one stress in people's lives is financial pressure. Studies show that the number one reason for suicide is financial pressure. Studies show that the number one reason people do not live the purpose they feel like they were created for is financial pressure. They're in bondage to debt. God's given you this amazing thing called life and you get one shot at it and instead of living the life we were created for, we're living life working nine to five and robbing Peter to pay Paul because we don't know how to handle our money. I told you last week, <laughs> you don't have a money problem. The answer to everybody is if I can just make more money, I'll be good. Nah. 
If you don't know how to handle your finances, it doesn't matter how much money you make, you're not going to be good. You don't have a money problem. You have a spending problem. You spend more money than you make. Let me rephrase that because I hate being that preacher that says you. We spend more money than we make. Nobody has ever taught us sound financial principles. I was off last night with a friend, and we went to dinner and went to hear some music, and we were talking about this, and I, she asked about growing up, and she said, you're teaching this series, and she said, how did you learn these things in this series? She goes, it must have been your parents who taught you. Nope. I had, my parents are very laid back, and I have some great parents, and they were phenomenal parents, but I remember the one thing that was never discussed in our home ever was finances. You were not allowed to talk about finances to my dad. I never knew how much money he made, how many bills we had. My dad never set me down and said, hey, here's how you manage money, and here's how you do this, and here's how you do that. I don't know why that is. might be an interesting phone call today. I'd like to know the logic behind that. So I never learned sound financial principles until I was in bondage to my finances. Until all of a sudden I had all these bills that I couldn't pay for. And I think to myself, man, I wish somebody would have come along in my life and taught me sound biblical financial procedures. Did you know that people say the church shouldn't talk about this? But the problem is, is 15% of everything that Jesus Christ taught in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Listen to this. 15% of every word he spoke had to deal with managing your finances. Did you know that Jesus spoke more about finances than he did prayer and faith combined? Jesus knew that our God would be our finances. Whatever gets most of your time and whatever gets most of your energy is what you serve. And so many of us are in financial bondage that we're serving our finances. purpose of this series is real, real simple. I want you to change your life. I can't force you to change your life. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. At the end of the day, don't take this the wrong way. Sorry if you're new here and you think, man, this is not a very compassionate pastor. That's just the reality. Welcome. You might as well learn it the first Sunday. Here's the deal. At the end of the day, as much as I love you and want you to live the life you were created for, if you don't, it doesn't affect me. If you stay in financial bondage the rest of your life, at the end of the day, while I hate that for you, it doesn't affect me. But my job, and I feel like my calling, is for you to live the life you were created for. Amen. And I want to give you every principle I can for you to live the life you were created for. And I'm telling you, if you can grasp this one principle, it will change Almost every aspect of your life. They say money can't bring happiness or can't buy happiness. I agree with that. Money can't buy happiness. But when you have sound financial principles, it can get rid of a lot of the things that are making you be unhappy. The financial stress. Most people, like I said, they don't have a money issue. We have a spending issue. We're spending more than we make. I love what Dave Ramsey says. He says we're buying stuff we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. We're buying stuff we don't need with money we don't have 
to impress people we don't even like. So last week, we gave you a proper understanding, according to the Bible, of money. If you missed that message, you can go to actionchurch.tv and download it for free. You can go to your iTunes store, or I don't know what you, if you have an Android, what that store is called, the Google store, whatever it is, and you can download that message, and the message is free. And I would encourage you to go do that, because here's the deal. What society says about money and what the Bible says about money are two different things. So you need to have a foundation. You can implement the procedures I'm going to give you today, but what's going to keep you motivated to do it when it gets frustrating along the way is that you have a proper understanding of finances. Money, contrary to popular belief in the church, is not evil. Money's not good. Money's not bad. Money's neutral. What we choose to do with our money has everything to do with that. And there's a lot of people who live their life consumed by money, and it dictates every aspect of their life. And for those people, money becomes evil. The Bible says the love of money doesn't say money is the root of all evil. This purpose of this series is not for you to love money. I'm very focused on my personal finances and my marriage. My wife knows that. I'm very, we're very focused on it. We know where our money goes, and we make sure it goes where it needs to go, and we're able to live the life that we want to live. But I don't love money. But you know what I do love? Living out my purpose. If I didn't manage my money right, guess what? I wouldn't get to be here on Sunday mornings because no offense to Action Church. This doesn't pay my bills. I love you, and I appreciate you. But if I was depending on Action Church to pay my bills, I'd be eating a lot of ramen noodles. And as you can tell, I ain't eating a lot of ramen noodles. <laughs> I also gave you the principle last week, because this is important. I don't want to do a complete review, but it's important. I gave you the principle that God does not bless everyone the same financially. You need to understand that. But it doesn't matter. If you understand sound financial principles, it doesn't matter. We gave the story over in Matthew, I believe it was, where he gave one person one bag of gold, one person two bags of gold, and one person five bags of gold. The people with the two and the five, they duplicated their, they, they doubled their money. The one with the one did not. He wasn't a good steward. His money was taken away and given to those who were good stewards with their money. Here's the deal. It doesn't matter if you're a one-bagger a whole nother meaning when you're my age and you're in church. doesn't matter if you're a two-bagger. It doesn't matter if you're a five-bagger. As long as you're living within your bags. And the problem is some of us are one-baggers and we're living like we're five-baggers. And some of us are five-baggers and we're living like we're ten-baggers. We've got to learn where we are in life. You don't have a money problem. You have a spending problem. And if you learn how to spend your one or you learn how to manage your one-bag you can live a better life than someone who has five bags and doesn't know how to spend it. That's why we're always shocked when we see these athletes or these rock stars going bankrupt. It's just another zero. If you don't know how to spend your money, you don't know how to manage your money, you don't understand sound financial principles, the person who's making a million dollars is just adding another zero to the house they're buying. They're adding another zero to the car they're buying. Percentage-wise, it's the same. So you can have all the money in the world, hence why so many people who win the lottery lose it all, because they don't know how to manage what they have. 
I talked to someone last week who's making $10 an hour. I don't know about you. I can't live on $10 an hour the way I currently live. But as a person, if you would have asked me, I look at them and I watch them and it seems like they live a pretty good lifestyle. So I asked them about it. And I said, so I assume you need this series because you're in a lot of debt and you're living outside your man. I said, oh, no. I said, I have more money in the bank than I've ever had. And they said, man, I live a great life. I said, how do you do that? They said, well, you know something? I went and rented a one-bedroom apartment, and it was $700 a month. And then I found out I could get a four-bedroom apartment for $900 a month. And I thought to myself, well, if I got a four-bedroom apartment, I could rent out three of the rooms for $300 a piece. And so I live rent-free now. And I was like, oh, that's really smart. And they said, you know, so I don't have any rent. And they said, my grandmother died a few years ago, and she gave me this car, and she said, it's not the car I would choose. And she said, it's really not the coolest car. She said, but you know the thing about the car is it's got 35,000 miles on it. And she goes, it's paid for. And she goes, this is my favorite car I've ever owned. I said, oh. And she said, I really love my job where I work. And I'm, it allows me flexibility, and it allows me the ability to do what I want to do in my life. And she goes, so I've just decided I'm living a lifestyle that allows me to work the job I have. Wow, what an amazing concept. On the other end of that, I talked to someone last week who came up to me afterwards, and they said, you know, I make $250,000 a year. I said, that's awesome. And they said, there's times I don't even know how we're going to buy groceries next week. They said, they're here, I asked them if I could use the story, I'm not going to call out their name, it's just, no, I'm just kidding. Um, they said, we don't have good financial principles. We spend more money than we make. So don't miss this, it's not a money problem, it's a spending problem. We've got to learn how to get keyed in. The key to the story last week was not how much money you're given, the key to the story is are you doing what you're supposed to do with what you've been given? Whether it's one bag, two bags, or five bags. Now, here's the deal. If you're a one-bagger, if you follow sound financial principles, trust me, it won't be long till you'll be a two-bagger. In the story, the person came along and gave those who manage their money well more bags of gold. You want to be a five-bagger? Do what you're supposed to do with two bags. If I could just... I always get a kick out of this when people tell me, you know, Gary, if I win the lottery, boy, I'm going to set the church up. I'm like, no, you're not. What do you mean? I said, you make minimum wage now and you don't give to the church. Well, so you're going to tell me now that you've got $50 million you're going to give to the church? You're stingy with nothing. See, don't miss this. More money, or money in general, is just a magnifier. It magnifies what you already are. If you're greedy with no money, you'll be greedy with a lot of money. If you're generous with no money, you'll be generous with a lot of money. Money is just a magnifier of who we truly are. And my goal in this series is for you to learn financial principles. I had a lady last week send me a message and said, I didn't know why God told you this. She comes here sometimes and she goes to another church sometimes. She gets a lot out of both. And she goes, God told me to show up for this service. And I want to hear it. She goes, man, now I know why. And she said, I'm, I'm a one-bagger living a five-bagger life. And she goes, I'm so excited about this series. And I thought to myself, if I don't do this series for anybody else but that person, it's worth it all. But even in my own life, i got to be honest with you, it's been a good refocusing in Christine and I's life. 
because you can get in that routine. We're pretty good with the finances that we make, but you know what? We could be a lot better. We could be a lot more disciplined because here's the deal. I'm looking at the long term, and I have a life that I want to live and a purpose that I want to live, and I have things that I want to follow, and here's the deal. I'm willing to do what it takes today or I can do what I want to tomorrow. So we've got to learn how do we manage the money. So the problem is this. Most of us don't know where to start. It's overwhelming. You're broke, and on top of being broke, you're in debt. So you're like, Gary, I dig this series, and it's phenomenal, and I'm already on board, but the problem is I'm not even starting at ground zero. I'm starting negative because I've made so many piss-poor financial decisions in my life. It's just overwhelming. I get it. I hope those who haven't already made poor financial decisions listen, but it's too late for me. It's not too late for you. It's not too late for you. Anytime I talk about debt and getting rid of our debt, here's what happens to the people in the crowd. There's always people out there who roll their eyes, and they always make this comment. I've got family members who make this comment. They'll call me about how to manage their finances and how to set stuff. I'll tell them, like, oh, everybody has debt. I don't know about you. I'm tired of living like everybody. Everybody has debt. Everybody gets divorced. Everybody makes bad finance. Good. I don't want to live like everybody. I don't want to go through the same stresses that everyone else does. So if that's what normal is, then I don't want to be normal. So if normal is being in debt, here's what you're telling me. Normal is busting your butt week after week to come home and have nothing left because you have so many bills. I don't want to be normal. If normal is 80% of college graduates graduating with over $25,000 in debt, I don't want to be normal. They ain't even got a job, and they're in debt. But that's just the way it goes. I don't want to go the way it goes. Normal is $14,000 in credit card debt. I don't want to be normal. Normal is 70%. Listen, 70% of Americans say if they missed one paycheck, they'd lose everything. That's normal. I don't want to be normal. Normal is buying a car you're upside down in within six months. Did you know that if you went and bought a new car, within 18 months, it has dropped 60% in value? Oh, BTW, you ain't paid 60% of it down. If that's normal, I just want to be weird. Normal is people spending 114% of what they make every year. <laughs> That's just normal, Gary. Cool. Here's the deal. I give you permission today. If you want to live normal, tune me out. Pull out your phone, get on Facebook, think, look at the game today. I don't have time. Sometimes I got time for you. Today I don't got time for you. Those of you who want, to, who want to be weird, I want you to pull out your phone because I'm going to give you a lot of things up on the screen. I want you to take pictures of them. I want you to write things down. Because here's the deal. You are going to change your life if you implement these principles.
Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 27, 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Leave that up, Xander. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. That word slave is translated in the original language as servant. It literally means to be in bondage to something. You'll never live the life you were created for if you're in bondage to somebody else. You're tied up. You can't function on your own. You can't move on your own. You can't do anything. Why? Because you're slave to the credit card company. You're slave to the car company. You're slave to the mortgage company. You're slave to the family member who lets you borrow money. You know what I'm talking about. You know, they gave you a little bit of money and you were going to pay them back, and now you don't even want to post on Facebook when you go eat at Taco Bell because you're going to be like, huh, must be nice. Must be nice to drop 427 you owe me money. You know, you post, you got a new pair of shoes on, must be nice. You know why they're saying that? Because you're a slave to them. They have the right to dictate where your money goes because you owe them money. Now, imagine living your life with no debt. Imagine living your life having no credit cards. I haven't had a credit card in nine and a half years. It's the most amazing thing. Someone say, how do you function? <laughs> it's amazing. Check it out. Here, here's what I do. I don't buy stuff. I don't have money for. Yeah, Gary, but I, I got the system down. I just pay it off every month. You know, Dave Ramsey says that, listen to this, 96% of people over the course of two years do not pay their credit card off every month. Sounds good on paper. Sounds good that first month. Sounds good that fourth month. And then that fifth month comes along and the car breaks down and you can't pay it off. And the minute you can't pay it off, bam, you're in huge debt. That $100 on that credit card, now you owe $250 in interest. <laughs> it's an amazing concept. The rich rule over the poor, the borrower is slave to the lender. Now, most people look at this and they, they don't think to themselves, I'm not a slave to money. It, money doesn't control me. I, I'm not a slave to debt. Your mind doesn't get up and process like that. But we'll say it in different ways. We'll say it this way. And I'd love to do that. My, I can't afford it. Why can't you afford it? Oh, because you're slave to the debt you already have. I'd love to take a, a different job. I'd love to have more children. That's a whole other issue. If you have that mindset, talk to me later. <laughs> I said, we'd love to get married, but we can't afford it. We can't afford to get married? I told myself, well, I'll do your marriage for free. You know, but, I, but we want this. and oh, oh, you don't want to get married. You want to put on a show. Oh, you want to put on a show with money you don't have for people that you really don't even like. Cool. We're strapped. We're in bondage. 
Here's the deal. I can tell you, go all day long trying to convince you that debt is killing you. If you don't think it's killing you, cool, we'll agree to disagree, and I sermon isn't for you today. Well, it really is for you, but you choose not to listen to it because you're going to keep going and going and going and going until you finally go back and look for it, and you're going to realize, man, they only leave the last 10 weeks of sermons up, and I can't find that sermon anymore, and when's Gary going to teach on it again? And Gary's not going to teach on it again for probably another seven years because it's been seven years since the last time I taught on it because I hate teaching on this subject. And you're like, crap, I missed all that out, and now I'm staying in debt forever, and my life's ruined. So, But here's what I want you to do. I want you to look in the mirror. About nine months ago, I had to look in a mirror because I went to put my pants on and they wouldn't button. And I had nine pairs of blue jeans in the drawer, so I blamed it on that pair of blue jeans. They shrunk in the dryer. I proceeded to pull the other eight pairs of blue jeans out and none of them would fit me. It had been all summer. I'd wore shorts all summer. And none of them would fit me. So I did something that's probably the most humiliating thing. I waited everybody left the house. Because I'm not even going to let my wife see me do this. And I went to her full-length mirror naked. There's nothing good about that. And I got real, real honest with myself. Because here's the funny thing about a mirror. It don't lie. And I begin to watch what I eat, and I begin to work out. And here's the deal. I've got a long way to go. But can I tell you this, because I knew I was preaching this sermon this morning? I pulled out the smallest pair of pants that I had from like 10 years ago to see if they would fit me today. Bam! And I'm wearing them. But you know what I had to do? I had to get real honest with myself. Some of you need to look in the mirror with your finances. And ask yourself, that debt that you think you've got under control, and make this clear, just because you can pay the debt off every month doesn't mean you have it under control. Because you could go into your job tomorrow and lose your job, and guess what? The debt don't stop. I told you what was eye-opening for me. I lost a church I pastored about 10 years ago. I had done some stuff, deserved to lose the church and everything, and I moved in someone's basement. I had lost my marriage. I had lost everything, and I'm feeling sorry for myself about three weeks, and all of a sudden, I got a FedEx package to these people's house. No one knew I lived at that house, except one person, who I wasn't very high on their list at that time. I was like, that's weird. Whoosh, opened it up. There was about 17 bills in there that had come to my previous house that this person put in a FedEx envelope and said, all it said was this, bills are due. You know what all of a sudden I realized? Wells Fargo didn't care that I'd lost my job. The mortgage company didn't care that I'd lost my job. Visa didn't care that I was feeling sorry for myself living in the basement. Now here's the deal. I was making good money. I was making more than enough money to make the minimum payments every month before. I didn't think I was in financial debt until I didn't have a job. And all of a sudden, they started calling. So I did what any smart person would do. I had a really good credit. So I went and got more credit cards to pay off these credit cards, to pay off these credit cards. And I realized very quickly, about three months after that, pulling through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru and pulling out the credit card with a $25,000 limit on it, to pay for my number one with extra cheese and extra pickles and half sweet, half unsweet tea and a large fries with three Chick-fil-A sauces. 
And they said, uh, your card's been declined. I said, that card ain't been declined. I remember, I remember, I was like, that card has $25,000 on it. It ain't been declined. Run it again. It was declined. I think that, I'll never forget, it was one of the most humbling things. I think the lady was embarrassed for me. She said, sir, you don't worry about it. Just take the food. I eat there seven days a week. It's the least they could have done. <laughs> I left. I go home. Boop, 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 boop. Type it up on the computer. Oh, yeah, there's $25,000 of debt on that credit card. And suddenly I'm enslaved. So what I want you to do, you ain't got to listen to it this morning, but I want you to go home and do some reviewing real quickly and get honest about your finances. So today's message is for those who realize that debt's killing them and they're sick and tired of being sick and tired. They're sick of living life normal and they want to break out and be weird because weird is financial freedom. Weird's being able to do what you want to do with your life. Weird's not freaking out when the bills come. Weird's knowing, man, I can do what I want to do and work where I want to work, even if it's $10 an hour, because guess what? I ain't got any bills. It's game-changing. <laughs> now, I need you to remember something before you get to that point. You did not get in debt overnight, and you will not get out of debt overnight. But you got to, and this is so hard for us because we're a microwave society, you got to look long term. For some of you, it might take six months. For some of you, it might take five years. That seems overwhelming, doesn't it? Five years is nothing. I'm 42 years old. I think in my mind for some reason, I've always thought, man, I'll make it to lady. So I have 38 years left. So hypothetically speaking, if it takes me five years to get out of debt, 38 minus 5 is 33. Isn't it worth sacrificing five years to be able to do whatever I want to the last 33 years? You do what it takes. You make the changes that you need to make. In the words of Dave Ramsey, I'm going to say this many times throughout this message. You live like no one else today, meaning you cut every corner you can. You, you eat ramen noodles today. You live like no one else today where you can live like no one else for the rest of your life. If I got to eat ramen noodles, if I got to eat ramen noodles, listen, for two years, where I can eat T-bone steak for 30, mm, first thing we're going to do to get out of debt, we're going to embrace the value of self-control. We're going to embrace the value of self-control. Here's an amazing concept for you. In order to get out of debt, guess what? You got to stop spending money. Bible says in Proverbs 25, 28, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. God, I'm going to regret this. Like a city whose walls are broken through. In biblical times, walls were important. You don't ride telling you where I stand on the issue. I'm telling you in biblical times, walls were important. They, shut up, Kylie, on the front row. They allowed people, the city, to determine who could come in the city 
and who could go out of the city. It provided protection for the city. It allowed the city to know when people laid down at night, they could lay their head down and they could go to sleep safely. A person who lacks self-control is like a city whose walls are torn down. Anybody can get in and anybody can attack and they can do whatever they want to do. You've got to learn self-control. When you have no self-control, you're literally destroying your life. What we're like is we're like little kids. We want what we want, and we want it now. Give me. Give me. I deserve it. First of all, honey, you don't deserve anything. Okay? Now, here's how this normally happens. I'm stereotyping here. But with men and women, this normally happens different. Men normally have no self-control when it comes to big purchases. We're going to show up with the new truck, the new boat, the new $5,000 gun, because we needed it. Women are not normally wired that way. Women have no self-control when it comes to nickel and diming. This was 80% off. They practically gave it to me. It was regular $100, and it was 80%. You still spent $20 that you didn't have to impress people that you don't even like. But it was such a good deal. Oh, my, my wife is not here today. I had to ask my wife one day. I said, I love you, and we are blessed, and I trust you with our money. She handles the finances for us. And, and I said, but if you tell me one more time, you need, it's, it was always, I need a white shirt for this and a white shirt for that. And I need a white undershirt and a white, I'm like, you have 28 white shirts. But this one is for this. I don't care, like, self-control. Self-control. You got to learn self-control because here's the deal. If you keep spending, you're not going to get out of debt. I was listening to a podcast recently, and it really impacted me. The guy said this when he was talking about setting goals. He said, I set goals, and then as I go to meet those goals, depending on what the goal is, before I do anything, I ask myself this question. Is this helping me or hurting me in meeting my goals? So I want to lose weight. So when I put that piece of cheesecake in front of me, is there anything wrong with cheesecake? Nope, it's Manna from heaven. <laughs> but here's the question. Is eating this piece of cheesecake helping me? Or is it hurting me in meeting that goal? So we're talking about finances today. So it's a great question to ask yourself as you get ready to spend money. I'm going to go eat out. Is, is there anything wrong with eating out? Nope. Let me make this clear. But we're talking about having self-control in the short term where we can do whatever we want to in the long term. So is me going and dropping $10 or $15 on this meal when I could have went home and ate for 2 or $3 worth it? I can't answer that question for you. Only you can. It depends on how bad you want to be out of debt. $15 ain't a big deal. Maybe not. But over the course of the year, when you do it 50 times, it's a big deal. 
You do it once a week over the course of the year, it's a big deal. Imagine if you then took that six, seven, eight hundred dollars and you applied it to your smallest debt. Chances are it'd pay off your smallest debt. We'll get to that in a little bit. Ladies. Ladies. These are free. They're nails. Do you need to go get new nails every three weeks? Now, here's the deal. I dig it. My favorite thing, the first thing I ever noticed about my wife was her new, her nails. They were, I can tell you today, she had them all pink and she had, whoops, this one was white with black stripes. I was like, man, I dig that. Nothing wrong with it. My wife had been doing it for about three or four years, and one day I went with her because I want to spend time with my wife. I had no idea how expensive it is to get your nails done. And guess what? My wife gets her nails done every three weeks. Guess what? We don't have any debt. Boom. Guess what? When we decided to get out of debt, she didn't do it for a year. We showed some self-control. I'd get naked and paint her. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, hey, guys, you're trying to get out of debt. Do you need to go play golf twice a week? He's probably debt-free. Now, here's the deal. You can go play golf nonstop. There's nothing wrong with playing golf. Do not leave here today and say the preacher said it was wrong. But I'm talking about are you wanting to get out of debt? What if you cut golf out of your life for a year? That eighteen, nineteen, twenty, thirty thousand dollars you got in debt might slowly go away, and now you're not robbing Peter to pay Paul, and you can play golf five days a week. I love enjoying life. I love spending money. Do you really need that $5.50 Starbucks coffee every day when you can make it for 50 cents at your house? I talked to someone recently who was trying to get off of coffee and trying to get out of debt, and they, were trying to, they felt the caffeine wasn't working. They said, I just like to go buy it. I don't even drink it anymore. That's even more stupid. Some of you could eliminate your credit card debt. Mm, I'm about to get real close to home. If you quit smoking. Brand new car. Go buy a used car. You need another pair of jeans? Another gun? Nothing wrong with any of those things. But I'm talking to the 5% today who are tired of being in debt. And if you want to get rid of your debt, you got to show some self-control. Get out of debt and go get your nails done every week if you want to. Get out of debt. And if your wife says, hey, I don't want you around, go play golf every day. Get out of debt. And go pay cash for every gun you have and start a militia in your basement and you do what you want to do, baby. <laughs> Learn to say no for a little while so you can say yes for the rest of your life. I don't mean this arrogantly, okay? I've been, how long have we been going on vacation every Memorial Day? Five years? Six or seven years. The first year that I ever... 
ever went on vacation with him. It ain't been six or seven years. I've only been with Christine for five years, you idiot. It's been five years. Um, hey, I didn't go with before. So, yo. Five years ago, they said we ought to go away from Memorial Day. I remember sitting down with Christine, and I said, we can do it. And I said, well, to do it, man, it's going to be tight, and we're going to have to cut the groceries back this month. And, do, and it was stressful, stressful. And we did it, and we had a good time. The other day, Christine came up to me, and she said, hey, are we going away with Kylie and Betty for Memorial Day? I said, I'm sure we are. We do it every year. She said, well, you know, where we go on vacation no longer exists because the hurricane wiped it out. I said, okay, just tell me where we're going. She said, well, they suggested maybe we look at this. This is a lot more money. You know how nice it was to be not to even think about it, pray about it, ponder it, and be like, do it, I don't care. Because the last five years, we've lived like no one else, where we can live like no one else. I'm not saying that to brag on you. I'm telling you, it's amazing. It's freedom. You know what? My wife, because of some circumstances in our life, we brought in someone in our home that we're taking care of, and so she hadn't worked since October. You know how nice it is to know my wife hasn't worked since October, and yet we can still do whatever we want to do? Because we're not in bondage to debt. When I was in bondage to debt, it consumed me. You've got to, make, you've got to show some self-control. You've got to say no short term. You've got to live like no one else so you can live like no one else. Self-control. Next thing we're going to do, we're going to embrace the value of sacrifice. Sacrifice and self-control are two different things. Self-control are things currently that we're going to say no to when we're impulse buying. Sacrifice is different. Sacrifice is actually a theme found throughout the Bible. It's actually the theme of Christianity. The Bible says this in Hebrews 12 too, Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Scorning at shame is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why did he go hang on the cross? For the joy set before him. He went through temporary pain for long-term gain. The joy set before him. That he'd be on the right hand of the Father. That he could create a way for you and I to go to heaven. He sacrificed momentarily for the joy that was set before him long-term. He made the sacrifice, the brutal sacrifice. Don't miss this. For something he wants. He sacrificed something for something he wanted even more. We're going to sacrifice. What is sacrificing? Don't, don't miss this. It's giving up something you love for something you love even more. What sacrifices can you make? It's giving up something you love for something you love even more. Let me give you some examples. You might love watching cable television. I love television. I love TV. I love it. But sacrificing might mean you give up that $175 a month bill for cable because while you love it, you love the idea of come December providing Christmas for your kids without getting in debt. Is anything wrong with cable television? Nope. But you're going to sacrifice that where you can put that money back to do something you love even more. You may want a bigger house. But what you want even more than that bigger house is for one of you to stay home and be a stay-at-home parent for the kids. So you sacrifice the wanting of the bigger house for something that you love even more. I don't know what it is that you can sacrifice and what you want more. Only you know the answer to that. But when you think, man, you want this or you want that, Christine and I are talking about moving. We live about two blocks from here. 
And we bought this house in this part of town for one. Everybody, it was really cool because when we bought the house, everybody was like, look at Gary, he loves, he has a heart for this part of town and he's moving down here close to the church. It's amazing. No. We bought in this part of town because three years ago, that's what we could afford. We needed a big house because we got 737 kids. We wanted a yard because we have 737 kids and two dogs. So guess what we did? We bought a house that we could afford that was big enough for us. And guess what that house didn't have when we bought it? It didn't have a kitchen. It didn't have heat and air. It didn't have a bathroom. It had one bathroom. Someone had transformed the house into offices. So it had amazing bathrooms. They were just commercial handicap accessible bathrooms with no bathtub or shower. They were amazing. Didn't have a laundry room. And we stole the house. Now, I'm actually in negotiations with someone right now who wants to who just bought the property next to us to build townhomes, and they're talking about buying our property. Now, guess what? If they buy our property, when it's all said and done, it's going to put enough money in our pocket, none of your business how much, but where I can go buy whatever we want to buy and probably have 50% of it down. I don't know that's going to happen, but here's what we did. We sacrificed short-term we could get what we wanted long-term. We knew when we bought, I knew when we bought the house, the area was going to, I already knew the area was fixing to change. We never wanted to live in the house. You think we wanted to live in the house where there's Spanish music blasting at 3 o'clock in the morning like it's a mariachi band outside? <laughs> you think I wanted to live in a part of town where roosters are waking me up at 3 o'clock in the morning? Do you think I wanted to, to live in a part of town where I go to take my kids to school the other day and there's a drunk guy passed out in my driveway? No. But guess what? Long term, it's going to pay off. And guess what? We've been able to bless a lot of people throughout that house. But we embrace the value of sacrifice. We never bought that house ever with the intention of staying in that house forever. We sacrifice short term for something hopefully one day we love even more. You may be in college. Someone went to college. I like my alone time. Hmm. Well, you know what I'd do? I'd go sleep on the couch and rent all the rooms out of my house and make money all throughout college where I could pay for college because as much as I love my alone time, I love graduating with no debt more. You got to sacrifice. <laughs> you may, huh, those are big ones. Let's hit close to home. You may love going to lunch every day and getting that 7 or $8 sandwich that $1.50 drink, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I love, like, anybody that knows me, I love to eat out. It's my favorite thing. I don't know why, I just love it. I don't want to do dishes, I don't want to cook, and I, I eat out all the time. Okay? So, you might go every day and drop that $10, and you love it. But you may love paying off your car a whole lot more. Maybe you love never having a car payment again. I added up one time what I spent over the course of the month eating out in convenience stores. And it was a car payment. You don't think about it because it's $8 here and $7 there and $4 here. And at the end of the month, I was like, holy smokes. Do you know that they say that if you ate out only one time a week for lunch and brought your lunch the other four days a week at work, <laughs> that over your lifetime, 
you would save on average of $112,000. You're nickel and diming yourself to death. I don't have the money, Gary. No, you, you have the money. You don't have a money problem. You have a spending problem. The problem is we live in a culture that's asking the wrong questions. When we go buy a car, we don't ask how much the car is. How much down and how much a month? We never step back and say, man, that $8,000 car over the course of this six-year loan at this percent interest, holy smokes, I just paid $32,000 for that car. Because we don't look long-term. We're not willing to sacrifice. Like I told you earlier, they said the average credit card debt in society, and I've got to look down at my notes because I'm about to give, overload you with some stats. They say the, the average credit card debt in America is $14,517. How did they get that? <laughs> Real easy. Before the kids get too big, I want to take them to Disney World. Boom, fourteen grand right there. You know? Hey, I've got to have that, that huge TV with theater round sound and for my one-bedroom apartment. Boom, fourteen grand. Some people just nickel and dime it to death and don't realize all of a sudden $14,517 in debt. At $14,517 with 18% interest, which is very common on a credit card, your minimum payment for that credit card is $217.93. Don't seem like a big deal, does it? $217. We don't think anything about it. That's how pitiful we are in our society. That's a lot of money, actually. But we just pay it every month and we don't think about it. So let's say you make the minimum payment of $217 because 80-something percent of people only make the minimum payment every month on their credit card. Okay? How long do you think it would take to pay off that credit card? $14,000. A year? 10 years? 10 years? 40 years to pay off that credit card. Do you know how much you would have paid on that credit card? At the end of those 40 years, remember, you only got $14,000 on it. $104,606,040. Hope Disney was good. <laughs> That's the real cost. We don't think the real cost. We think, I can pay this every month. What if we changed our mindset about that? Now, think about this. Let me, let me really blow your mind. Lon, you're literally amen to me today, so I want you to think about this. If instead you didn't go to Disney, instead you didn't run that credit card up to $14,517, and instead you saved $14,000. Well, I don't know how you saved it. You, you, you nickel and scraped and you sold, and maybe it took you two years, it took you six years, six months, whatever, and you saved up $14,000, $14,517, okay, what your credit card is, Okay. And instead of spending it on things you don't need, with money you don't have to impress people you don't like, you invested that $14,517. And remember, it's going to take us 40 years to pay it off, so we're going to invest it long-term in a 40-year plan. And because you're investing long-term, you're going to get around 12% return on that. Do you know at the end of that 40 years how much that $14,000 would turn into? $1,350,820.94. It's amazing. 
Well, 14 grand. But here's the problem. Our minds don't think long term. You're 20 years old. You're not thinking 60. I'm 40. 60 is a lot closer than it used to be. I used to think I'd be dead at 60. Now I'm like, crap, I'm ready to get to 60. I ain't dead. I got 25 more years to go. I want to live on that 1.3 million. Now let's take it a whole nother level. You ready for this? Imagine you saved that $14,000. You invested it for 40 years. And every month, you made that minimum payment into that fund. So remember, it was like $213, $217. So you invested $14,000. Are you following me? Then every month, you added $213 to it. At the end of 40 years, you would have $3,597,615.75. How was that trip to Disney? How was that surround sound that was outdated six months after you put it in? It's mind-boggling. We don't think about that, though, and that's the problem, and that's why we have the debt that we have. How much difference could you make in the world if you weren't in debt and you had that kind of money? We changed the world. i got to go fast. We're going to embrace the value of planning. We're going to embrace the value of planning. Everybody just got tense if you're wired like me. I don't do good with planning. But listen to what the Bible says. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? It's called planning. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead to profit. The plans of the diligent lead to profit. As surely as haste leads to profit. I like to fly by the seat of my pants. I am Gary Lamb and I am the king of flying by the seat of his pants in every area but one. Finances. I went and looked at a car this week, and I told you I'm looking to downsize. And so I went and looked at a car, and I really wanted this car. And I told the guy, I said, I don't know. I want to think about it. I want to talk to my wife. I don't want to make the numbers line up. And so the next day, I called on the car, and he said, oh, so that car, you snooze, you lose. I said, okay. He said, you want me to look for something? I said, no. I said, I liked that car. It's gone. No big deal. Well, man, if you acted quicker, I don't care. It's a car. I liked the car. I was interested in the car. The car's gone. I ain't losing sleep over the car. I'd have hated that car. <laughs> I'd have come over and telling my wife that I bought that car quickly and not thinking about it. Cars gone. Guess what? They make more cars. So, we've got a plan. So, I'm going to give you three baby steps. Here's where it gets practical take notes, game changing steps. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to create a budget. Create a budget. You're going to list every expense you have for the month and how much it costs you. At the end of every month, you're going to come back and talk about how much you spent on that because it's going to take two or three months to get that budget right. Your, your electric bill, for example. My electric bill in our old home in the summer and the winter is outrageous. We have an attic fan and lots of windows. In the spring and fall, it's hardly anything. So you're going to learn it fluctuates, okay? But you've got to have that expense. You need to know where your money goes. Let me give you an exercise that will rock your mind, blow your mind, the five of you that are listening. I accept that, the five of you that are listening. For 30 days, get you a little steno pad, and you write down every penny you spend. I don't care if you buy a pack of gum. 
at the end of the month, go see where your money's going. You don't know where your money's going. You have no clue where your money's going, yet you know you don't have any. I literally, last time I preached this, someone quit smoking over it. At the end of the month, they came to me and said, I spend over $900 a month in cigarettes. I said, I never wanted to stop smoking until I saw that. I don't even know how much cigarettes are, if that's even possible, but that's what they said. God bless them. Okay? I don't have time to go into a detailed explanation. Listen to me. I don't have time to go into a detailed explanation on how to create a budget. It's a very detailed conversation. Here's the best thing you can do. Ready? Write this down because I don't have it in the notes. Go to your phone and download the Every Dollar app by Dave Ramsey. It's free. They have paid things you can go to make it more robust, but download the Every Dollar app. It will track everything. It will sync with your account. At the end of the month, it will give you a report on where your money It's amazing. It will give you templates on how to budget money. It's amazing. His class, Financial Peace, is a game-changing class. We're trying to work out, and maybe I've approached some people, maybe maybe in the next month we'll teach that class here on a weeknight. It's amazing. You have to pay for the class, and you, and you should have to pay for the class because it, 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 when you, you, you pay for something, you, you got some teeth in the game. You know what I mean? It's game-changing. It's, it's a game-changing class. It's going to go way deeper into what I'm teaching you here. But download the Every Dollar app and create a budget. Once you have a budget, you know where your money's going. I don't care if you make $1,000 a month, have a budget. I don't care if you make a million dollars a month, have a budget, okay? Now, now I want to get into some more basic. I, I, we're not going to go into that much. You can go to Dave Ramsey, how to create a budget. He has templates and everything, and download the Every Dollar app, okay? Second of all, you're going to create, oh, by the way, that can be done in one day. You can have a budget today. Second thing we're going to do is we're going to create an emergency fund. You've got to do these steps in this order. Don't miss this, because here's the deal. Crap happens, okay? There's nothing more frustrating than you're trying, I gotta go fast, trying to get out of debt, trying to get out of debt, trying to get out of debt, trying to get out of debt. You're saving, you're skipping, you're doing all this stuff, and your car breaks down. Refrigerator quits working. Now all the money, you're like, I was just getting ahead, now you're so frustrated, and it derails you. Stuff is going to happen. So we're gonna create an emergency fund. Here it is. You're going to save up $1,000, Let me make this as clear to you as possible. And I know some of you are in debt, some of you don't make very good money, and that $1,000 just blew your mind because it's so much debt. That's nothing. You would be shocked how quickly you can save up $1,000. It's going to be the fund. So when emergencies happen, when the kids get sick, when you miss work or whatever, you pull from the emergency fund, okay? You can do it. You can do it. How are you going to get $1,000? I don't know. You're going to sell everything in your house, to get $1,000. You're going to eBay the couch. You're going to Craigslist the grill. You're going to do all. It doesn't matter. You're going to do whatever it takes to get $1,000. You're going to go do side jobs for a month. You're going to make a commitment not to eat out for a month. You're going to do whatever it takes. $1,000 is nothing. And by the way, it's tax time. A lot of you are going to be getting $1,000 back. $1,000. This gives you peace as you're working the plan. Because now something comes along and it happens Oh, now this is an important step. You're always going to go back to this step, okay? Because here's the deal. You got $1,000, refrigerator brace, it costs $300. Now there's $700. The rest of the steps go back on hold until you replace that $300. You're always going to have the $1,000. You're not working any of the other steps in, until there's $1,000. So if you have to spend it and it gets down to $700, you're working the step stop. They go back to you get $300 back in there. Always have an emergency fund. 
If you're like me and you have 737 kids, it's a lot bigger emergency fund than $1,000. We have a set amount in our house that no matter what, we don't drop below it. When we're making decisions about remodeling or vacations, it, it can't touch that. That's off limits. The minute something comes out of it, bam, we stop everything and go back to building that fund up. You have to, this, it's so vital. This gives you the peace because stuff, life happens, okay? Life happens. You're going to be able to do this. It's easy. It's, I'm telling you, it's easy. You would be shocked how easy it is. Walk through your house, go through your clothes, ladies, and ask yourself, have I not worn any of these clothes in the last six months? Sell them. Have a yard sale. You can come up with $1,000. Trust me. So the first step you can do in a day, this step should take you no longer than 90 days. There's not a person here who can't save $1,000 in 90 days. If you can't save $1,000 in 90 days, get some hustle about you. Get some initiative about you. Be a winner. Okay? But it's not just going to come. God's not going to write you a check signed by God. God might write you a check called overtime. God might write you a check called for the next 90 days, I'm going to work a second job. God might write you a check called, hey, let's sell this or sell that. God might say, hey, get rid of your car and get a, a, a lesser car. I, I don't know. Create an emergency fund. Now, last of all, and then i got to get out of here, but this is so important. Now, okay, last. Here it is. Put this debt snowball into action. Put the debt snowball into action. Who knows what the debt snowball is? Awesome. For those of you who don't know it, here's what it is. You're going to list every debt that you have, Okay. You're going to list them from highest to biggest debt. So the one that's 30000 up here, the one that's 20000 here, all the way down to your smallest debt, $500 that you financed at Lowe's to buy that saw you didn't need, you know, whatever. Okay, so highest debt on top, lowest in Okay, here's the deal. We're going to take the, all the other debts, so two through five, and you're going to make minimum payments every month. Minimum payments every month. You're going to take the smallest one, and you're going to knock that debt out. You're going to do whatever it is at a minimum, at a minimum, to collect another 200, <coughs> to send another $200 a month in on that debt. Whatever it takes. Not eating out, whatever. But maybe you can send $400 in or whatever. You're going to knock that debt out, okay? So, the, so that $800 debt's going to get knocked out quick, okay? So once you knock out that debt, your minimum payment on that debt was $25, and you were sending an extra $200 in on it, okay? So you were sending $225 a month on it. I'm just making these figures up, and, I, and we'll go over this more if we do the financial peace class, okay? You're now going to take that $225, and you're going to apply that whole amount to the next lowest debt. Let's say the minimum payment on that was $50. So now you're paying $275 on that one. That one's probably around a two or $3,000 debt. You're going to knock that one out. So now you got $275. Guess what you're going to move to the next debt? That one, the lowest payment on it is $150. So now you're sending almost $500 or $400-something in on that. Bam. When that one's paid off, you're going to take that $400 and you're going to send it to the next one. That car payment, that's $500-something, $600 a month. Now you're sending $1,000 a month on it. You're knocking out those debts one at a time, one at a time. You're rolling each bill over. And here's the reason you start with the smallest. Because you need some victories along the way. It gets frustrating trying to pay off that $35,000 car. But bam, I paid that $700 debt off and I got a victory. I'm motivated. Bam, I paid off that second one. I got motivated. Gary, you don't know how much debt I have. Don't matter. It doesn't matter. This works. It works. It works. Okay? For some of you, you can do this in six months. 
Some of you, it might take three years. What is three years in the grand scheme of your life? It's nothing. Imagine your child, and you skimp for three years, and you save for three, and he becomes a teenager, and you're like, why do we have to do all this stuff? Here's my son, because I learned financial principles, and I want to pass them down to you. Every extra penny is going to go into that debt. You've got to attack that debt like you would attack your sobriety or like you would attack your um, weight loss or you would attack your college degree you're trying to earn. Whatever it is, here's what the Bible says. In Proverbs 6, 5, it says, free yourself. Who has to free themselves? People in bondage. Who's in bondage? People in debt. Like a gazelle from the hand of a hunter. Like a bird from the snare of the fowl. Anybody ever seen a gazelle running away? You're, go, go, go to YouTube and type in gazelle running from lions. That sucker is on <laughs> wide open. You're going to attack this like so. So you got to list all those debts. This will never work. It will work. The top debt for most of you is going to be your home. Imagine one day getting your home paid off. Holy smokes. <laughs> now, they say on average... After you, you got all your minimum payments done, it'd be about $1,100 a month, okay? $1,100 a month goes out in debt stuff. So now the debt's paid off. You just freed up $1,100 a month. What are we going to do with that $1,100 a month? We'll talk about that next week. But they say if you do this, listen, this is, this is mind-blowing. They say if you do this, on average, they say on average, because it depends on your debt, People get out of debt five and a half years earlier than they would have not doing this. you got to look long-term. Debt's killing you. I showed you the principles from the Bible, and then I got real practical with you. Create a budget, okay? Every dollar app, get that downloaded. Create that emergency fund. Emergency fund's cool because that's, just, that, that's a nice victory, and you can do that in no time. And then start eliminating that debt. Bam, bam, bam. I had a $231 dentist bill when we started this that I had not paid in 10 years. It was affect two, I was allowing $231 to affect my credit. And guess what? After 10 years, that $231 bill was like $800 something dollars. What'd you do? I called them. I said, I owe you $231. Can I pay it today? Well, you owe us 800 I said, well, I'll pay you 231 today, and we'll call it good. Or, I wasn't going to do this because I was going to pay it off no matter. I said, I'll pay you $10 a month for the next 20 years. Yeah, we'll take that 231 Boom, got it. I said, oh, by the way, I need that off my credit report. You've got to work those steps. I was allowing $231 to destroy me. Couldn't even get a car loan because of it. Couldn't even think about getting a house because I, I pried. Because they messed my tooth up. You know, paying them. What's $231? Nothing. Man. Budget, emergency fund, and then you start that debt snowball. It's hard work. And I need to make this clear to you. It's hard work. If it was easy, everyone would do it. All those people you look at and you're like, man, they're successful in life. Successful financially in life, because success is not always money-driven. They didn't get there because they made more money. Do you know they say the average millionaire, the average millionaire drives a three-and-a-half-year-old car? They said Ted Turner used to drive a, a celebrity around. 
that was like 10 years old, one of the richest men in the world at the time. You should drive a... Here's the deal. All those things you think you need are those things you think you want. You only want them because you can't have them, and they validate you. Once you can have them, it's amazing how many times you don't want them because you don't need the validation because you know where you stand financially. That's why so many people get in debt buying huge toys and stuff because they just need the validation of it. Once you're able to buy it, you're like, I don't need that. Game changing. Here's the deal. What do you want out of life? For me, I want to be able to travel. I want to be able to do what I want to do. Maybe for you it is a car. Maybe it's you, men, there's a certain car you want, it's $100,000. Nothing wrong with that. Get to the point where you can go pay cash for that $100,000 car. That'll never happen. That's nothing. My wife the other day said something. She said, I really want to do this. And she goes, it's like, she goes, but it's $10,000. That'll never happen. I looked at her and said, I said, wow, you think a lot of us. She said, well, I said, it's $10,000. Now, can we go write a $10,000 check? No, but I was like, $10,000 is nothing. But can I tell you something? Six, seven years ago when I started this process, $10,000 might as well have been a million dollars. Your perspective changes. It's the most freeing thing ever. Buddy, I went to high school with, for those of you who don't know, I do a wrestling show because I like wrestling. I'm a redneck like that. I do a wrestling show here. And a buddy I went to high school with showed up at my wrestling show today. And he said, you just do whatever you want to do. I said, yeah. He said, how can you do that? I said, well, what do you mean? He said, are you making any money at this? I said, well, yeah, I'm making money at it, I guess. And he, I said, but I just like it. He goes, I can't afford to do things I like. That's on him. Funny thing is, I know what he does for a living. He makes good money. I do whatever I want because I busted my butt. Let me rephrase that. My wife has busted her butt to get our finances in order. We got to go. That's one more step, too. Last step. If you suck with money and have no discipline, Gary Lamb, King. Swallow your pride if your spouse is better at it than you. Amen. This is the greatest thing I ever did in my life, turning my finances over to the wife. Boom. I don't even know what I make. I just bring it to her. Here. Ah, I'm Here's what I know. I got money in the bank for the first time ever in my life. She could be taking it all and hoarding it to leave me one day, but I know right now the one account I get to check has money in it. And it's all good. <laughs> 